Green Side, the IGA podcast. Also, Mike McCoy, the 2013 USA. Johnson, now a two-time major champion after becoming the winner of the 144th Open Championship. All right, welcome to Greenside, the IGA podcast. Clint Brown here with you. Got a couple guests today. Got Doug Snook, Iowa Golf Hall of Fame inductee, 2011, longtime superintendent, and Greg Mason, executive director of the Iowa Section PGA. Guys, uh, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you. You betcha. Looking forward to it. Well, I know you guys uh, work together up in Waverly, and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit. But, Doug, I, I kind of want to just start uh, – how did you get started in the, the superintendent world and what maybe kind of sparked that interest early in your career? <laughs> oh, wow. And that goes back a, a long, long ways. Um, actually, I, uh, I grew up in Newton and my uh, uh, Larry Stewart uh, was at Westwood Golf Course. And actually, he was my brother-in-law. Really? Okay. And, uh, you know, so there was not too much nepotism back then, I guess, because he uh, needed somebody to shag balls. So I was 14. And so there I was. And so started kind of working in the pro shop and then I really wanted to be outside. So finally uh, graduated to be outside. And so that's kind of where I got my exposure to it. And uh, then after a brief stint in the military, I came back and decided, uh, yeah, you know, I, I like working on the golf course. So he hired me back and worked there for a few years and then went off on my own. And um, I really learned the hard way of, <laughs> uh, through my career. Um, probably wasn't quite prepared, but I, I did. And um, I bounced around a little bit and ended up, of course, in Waverly. But uh, I, I tried to be everything. And that was kind of a mistake, I think, on my part. I uh, I was trying to be the pro and the superintendent, and uh, in one job, I was uh, even the club manager. It was an 18-hole. Uh, you know, might have been a little little too much. <laughs> so my really, my, I'd being out and taking care of the golf course, and um, that, that was my real passion. And so I kind of went from there. I kind of straightened myself out, and um, there you have it. Became nationally certified and had a good stand at Waverly. Um, and I, I really learned a lot through my peers, okay. you know, that, you know, the old on the job training way back when, and, you know, I'm talking way back in the early seventies, you know, that's what a, what a guy needed to advance himself, but you know, anymore you need, you need formal education. And I did go back and went to DMAC, uh, in between in there, but, um, yeah, it, it was the the networking um, that really, really helped me a whole lot. You know, I have a whole lot of people out there. To thank. Well, I was just going to say guys, I, and I know you guys will definitely agree with this, that just the networking of the, the superintendents is something, something pretty amazing. Um, you know, you can always lean on each other. You can bounce ideas off of each other. Cause um, Doug, can you kind of just talk about maybe those early days? I mean, probably just a lot of trial and error, like, Hey, I'm trying this and it's working or, Hey, I tried this and it didn't quite work, but you know, I kind of saw some results. Do you, can you kind of remember some of those experiences maybe? <laughs> I don't want to remember. Some of those, but, um, yeah. Yeah. You know, when you, uh, when you're out there bat battling the weather and, and different conditions, cause you got to remember, 
You know, back in the 70s and, and even probably even early 80s, and Maisel have to talk to this issue, but we, we didn't cut the grass as short as we do these days. The, the, the pressure of the playability of courses, I'm not saying it was, you know, pasture golf, but it just, as the years have gone by, as we all know, the, the pressure for golf course superintendents to keep that tournament play daily is more and more and more. I mean, heck, I remember back in the time where we were, we were using hand mowers and we're mowing at a quarter of an inch and we mow every other day. <laughs> so, you know, there wasn't the stress on the turf as it is today because of the height of cut we were using. But, you know, you still had your, yeah, you still had your problems and you, you really relied on your chemical salesmen, uh, your salespeople uh, and your peers. And the nice thing about it, even way back then, believe it or not, people, we did have telephones. And so, uh, <laughs> you, know, you'd, you know, you'd get on the phone and you just, you just reach out for some help and, and it was always there for you. Mace, what, uh, what, what do you kind of remember from those kind of, I know you were involved in a lot of different aspects of, of golf courses. What, what do you kind of remember as far as those early days before, you know, kind of the, all the technology and all the different things now? And I'm a little non-traditional from that standpoint, because I really didn't start playing golf till out of high school where, so I didn't play probably till about 83, 84, but I just remember there is a big, huge difference, as Doug said, in the even from the 80s to the 90s on high to cut. Um, he and I have hung around some really good people, and uh, one of the gentlemen would have been Fred Hawkins, uh, who's a uh, son, Joe Hawkins, is one of our Iowa PJ professionals, but Hawk played on the tour for a number of years in the Hogan era, and he said probably the biggest thing change was the agronomy practices as far as the you know especially when people talk about length but snooker can talk to this a little bit more but you know essentially those greens probably back in in those days were probably not much longer or not much shorter than the the bent grass tees we have today um and so when you look at even the fairway heights that that we're cutting at right now unless you were probably on a bent grass fairway you know, you're talking bluegrass fairways in a lot of those facilities, and you were probably mowing snooker what probably at three quarters of an inch or even an inch in the fairways. Where now, you know, they're cutting down there at half an inch or less. I would guess, right, snooker? Oh yeah, I mean they're probably cutting fairways inch and a half probably in, yeah. in some cases because you know a lot of golf courses didn't have irrigated fairways. Correct. You, know, you had just your tees and your greens, and so uh, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with everything you say, and yeah, you people who would want to relate to how slow the grains were back then just put on a T. Yes. That's why the pro shops sold a lot of lead tape. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed, Snucker. <laughs> <laughs> put on the back of them putter so you can get a weight on that thing. No, I, I tell you that I just want to say one thing. Yes. Uh, the the biggest thing and, and I and I learned this over my career is that the the cooperation and the communication between the management people, the pro and the superintendent, it is so huge. And I've had some, okay. I've had some that, you know, we're okay, but I have, I've had one that was really, really good. And of course he's on here with me now. And um, it, it really makes life a lot easier 
when you have a good relationship between the pro and the superintendent and the club manager. And um, uh, it's, it's just huge. Well, I was just going to say, you know, no more than I know, it's, you know, if the, like you said, that communication or that, or the, you know, the pros in the pro shop or the club manager, you know, he's kind of dealing with the members. He can say, okay, here's why we're doing this out on the course and, you know, give Snooker some, some room here. He's, he's trying to make things better. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you know, there's, there's, I know with the technology today, we don't really need to face-to-face people. You just really don't anymore. You know, you got your cell phones and your computers and, but there's nothing like uh, a stop in the pro shop and face-to-face and have a little chat. Uh, mm-hmm. It just, I don't know. to me, it's huge, but I'm old fashioned. Mace, what do you, what, what do you, I mean, you, you can kind of speak on that, you know, from the, like I said, you were kind of, kind of doing a lot of different things I know over your career, but can you just talk about kind of how, how critical that is for, you know, a, a golf course to have the, that communication and just kind of that teamwork. And I think if you just take some examples in Iowa, as far as the, the facilities that are, that are still flourishing to this day, and, and I'm going to pick on Des Moines golf a little bit to begin with, because Snooker and I had know a bunch of those guys, but, and this goes back to Bill Byers. Bill Byers was a really a non-golfer at Des Moines golf. Uh, but he and J.D. Turner did a great job there. But if you look at what they had, their management team here the last few years where he had, you know, Scotty Howe's been there since 1986. Uh, the superintendent, he's the director of golf. The superintendent, Rick Tegmeyer, was there as an assistant for a number of years, went left, went to Elmcrest and then came back. Um, and then they had their club manager that was there for a number of years that just retired. And then they've added Matt Ruling in there. But I would echo Snook on that is if you look at that or an Elmcrest country club, when you have that management team clicking literally on all cylinders and communicating every day, uh, it certainly makes, you know, life easier for everybody, including the staff Snooker. I would hope you'd agree with that one is the staff saw that all the management team was on the same page all the time. And I think that's just a big deal, but you know, you know, I learned this early on in my career. And, you know, when I got to Waverly, I just told Snooker, I said, I hope, and again, I knew some of the issues that they had there to begin with. And, and some of them, as he said, were less de- desirable uh, relationships with the golf shop staff. But once he got in there, he knew that I was, I was going to have his back and our total staff was too. And, and I don't, so I can't remember a day that you know, when you and I were both at the facility that either you didn't stop in the golf shop or I didn't stop down on the, in the maintenance building every single day. And sometimes it wasn't necessarily to communicate about a tournament or anything. It was just to check in with each other and see how the day was the day before or how life was. And that's what I think I appreciated about hanging out with Snooker so much. So. Now, wow. what, year, what years were you guys together there in, in Waverly before we get too far? Yeah, so Snooker, Snook was actually the, he was on the search committee that hired me. He and Tabaret led that and then the golf commission. So that would have been, I was with him from 2007 to, and then he retired in 2012, um, even though I tried to talk him out of it <laughs> many a times as he okay, because I think we were having so fun. And, and I think, you know, at those later years, hopefully he had a lot of fun those last six or so seasons that we were together. And then I stayed there till. I left in 2000, end of 2014. Okay. Okay. Um, Snooker, what, uh, talk, talk to me about, cause I know you did a lot of this kind of how much fun it was mentoring, you know, kind of that next, next group of superintendents. You, you knew when you had a guy, 
working for you if he was enthused about the work or not. It, you know, it's it's not easy. You know, everybody thinks, ooh, you to work on a golf course. Well, you know, you're out there and it's hot, it's cold, it's windy, it's raining. It's, sometimes it's freezing raining. <laughs> so, you know, it's you're early in the morning too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, um, yeah, you got to have a passion for it. And most of us in this profession probably are not going to be millionaires. But you know, that isn't that important to a lot of us. We, we have the passion for the work and, um, um, and you, you can see it out there, by the way, I just want to say this. I, I played, uh, 13 different golf courses this year. Mm -hmm. and, uh, hey, my game's coming around too, bro. Um, <laughs> I'm actually shooting in the low eighties, which, uh, is good for me. Anyway, I, I gotta say that, all of these golf courses that I've been to are just in great shape. And it's been a tough summer uh, in, in more ways than one. And I just, my hat's off to all these guys uh, in the Metro and also reach, I reached out and I played a couple other places um, and it, they're, they're all just doing a terrific job. But yeah, going back to mentoring, I, I'm real proud of some of the, some of the people who have worked for me, some of them worked for me real, real early in my career. Um, uh, one in particular, Tom Burrips, and uh, all the way to, uh, oh, I just had a, I had a lot of them and um, don't want to mention names and then forget somebody. But yeah, that, that was very rewarding to have a young man work for you and then go on and, and become successful. Uh, and I had a few, you know, some guys would go on and decide it just wasn't for them. And, sure. and that, you know, that happened. Um, so I think my, one of my, and I don't want to hog the time here, but one of my uh, passions, I guess, uh, was being involved with the association. And I really think it's so important that guys step up. Um, I, I worry about that sometimes because of the technology we have and you can just get everything on your phone or your computer. You don't really need to talk to anybody anymore. So I'm, I'm hoping that the golf course superintendents will recognize that, you know, our, our association is very, very important. And, and, you know, it's that face to face and that camaraderie and that networking that you get face to face that you just can't get on a, on a phone or a, tablet or whatever so and i'm i'm sure that i'm sure greg will say the same thing about the pros yeah absolutely i mean that's and you and i talked about that many times i mean you and i were lucky enough to both be presidents of our respective associations be around some of those mentors ahead of us too that certainly pushed us to be a part of our association to give back as much as we can i met with uh talked with <clears throat> with matt sherlock the other day he's down in the oscaloose area and he's our past president with the iowa pj and he said he wishes, to Doug's point, that more of our golf pros, superintendents, club managers would take the time to serve in their association because it's not necessarily about the value that you have giving back to the association, but it's like we said early on, the networking and the connections that you can have within an association where I'm sure, Doug, you were the same way was as you served, that as you got to know the people across the state of Iowa and probably across the nation as you were certified is it was real easy for you to pick up a phone 
and call somebody up and say, hey, I'm having an issue with this because more than likely somebody within, everyone thinks they're always on an island and never experienced certain things, but you could always make, pick up the phone and call up. I don't care who it was, XYZ superintendent or XYZ golf professional and say, hey, I'm having a situation. Can you help me out with this? Yeah. And I think that's the value that, as Matt says, you can't pay for that because there's there certain things that you know, I don't care whether you're trying to buy a golf course or maintain a golf course, but you know, the value you can put on that, you know, sure you can pay some consultant 10 to 20 grand to, to tell you what to do, but to be able to, because of your service to your association, pick up a phone and be able to talk to somebody at a high level. Um, that's, that's invaluable in my opinion. Guys, that leads me in actually to a, to a question and kind of a topic I wanted to talk about uh, you know, Doug mentioned it earlier, you know, you could, re you could always reach out to a, you know, a fellow superintendent and bounce ideas off of. And, and I want to talk about a guy that just went into our uh, Iowa golf hall of fame, Charlie Pribble. And I didn't know Charlie, but just the, the, what I've learned over the last year or two, I mean, what a guy, I mean, just an innovator, uh, everything under the sun. Can you guys just maybe kind of just talk about him a little bit? Cause I think there's a lot of people that maybe don't know Charlie. Go Dave. I was going to say, you've known him longer, Schnooker. I'll lead in after that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, wow. I, I went back a long, long ways with Charlie. He, he was one of the ones that when I was having a little problems, uh, he was one of the ones that were topped on my little list. I had a, believe it or not, it was a, it was a tablet that had names and numbers on it. And uh, I would, refer to that <laughs> so sure. you know i, I wouldn't uh probably you know what amazes me i just just want to say the one thing is, is how smart these new superintendents are these days i mean it, it just it just amazes me um the knowledge that they have and 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 i and i realize sometimes they think well you know nobody can tell me anything because i know a lot but that's where I differ, and I did in the olden days. And yeah, I, I would call Charlie. Charlie would actually physically come up, and uh, it wasn't that far away, uh, being he was in Waterloo. Um, but yeah, he um, he was terrific. Uh, he, like you said, and people, I, I guess I don't know if people uh, realize how innovative he was, and uh, probably maybe didn't hear the. One of the things he did was, you know, he ground the backs of the bed knives off to get the cutting height lower because there was all the manufacturers were only providing the one thickness of bed knife. And, uh, you know, he's having pressure one of the greens the faster. So you can thank him for for that. And uh, yeah, he was he was always there. Uh, he was they broke the mold. Um, he was uh, he was quite the guy. Um, and when he entered the room, you knew it. I mean, he didn't even have to say anything. He he just had this uh, presence about him. Sure. And uh, yeah, he he was pretty terrific. Doug, and this is something I've I've kind of I'm curious about because I don't I'm one that kind of understands a little bit. Can you can you kind of give me just the the layman's summary of kind of what that bed knife, what he did with those, kind of what that means, kind of how that how that worked, and I guess what that is actually for those who yeah, yeah, don't okay. know. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the bed bar that the the the, the reel comes around and, and hits a bed bar and between the bed bar and the reel, that's how you cut the grass. So basically, just in layman's terms, it's like a pair of scissors. Okay. Uh, you know, would would cut it, but the bed bar 
it sits down flat on the green and the thickness of it determines how low you can cut. Okay. And because there weren't, there, there was only one thickness of bed bar being, being offered at that time, he ground the backs of them off, which made them thinner, basically. Okay. Yep. And was able to get the height down a little bit. Okay. That makes and sense. The manufacturers yeah. got wind of it. And <laughs> it's like, hey. Visit, and the next thing you know, we've got thin bed bars. I don't know if that helped or not. But. No, for yeah, for sure. And like I said, I, I kind of, I know enough to kind of be dangerous about that kind of stuff, but I know there, there's people that maybe, you know, wouldn't know exactly how that works. So I was just curious. And I, I was one question I, I had on my, my list of, of things here. So Mace, uh, what do you, what do you remember about, about Charlie? Well, I hired him as our superintendent in 1992, actually 93, okay. uh, to help build Airport National. But before that, you know, he was doing irrigation. And like uh, Schnooker said, he was ahead of his time. He could figure out, and I, I mean, it wasn't just about growing grass. It was about, he could do the equipment. He could maintain that as a mechanic. He could be an irrigation specialist. Uh, he could be the, the spray tech uh, at your facility because a snooker is the same boat is you had to do all that. Stuff. Right. So, you had to wear a lot of hats. Right. And, and so, I mean, I was 25 or 26 at the time. And so when we, he was doing our irrigation because he was working for um, Big Bear Turf out of, out of Omaha. And so we got to know each other. We literally met cause we were in the same town. I was in Cedar Falls. He was in Waterloo. So we met literally every other day, uh, just talking about everything from budgets to, you know, how to buy equipment. Cause again, airport was a brand new facility, um, back then. And pretty soon we just built that relationship similar to what we talked about before. And then all of a sudden he and I just connected and I said, you know, Pribs, you want to be our superintendent and this would have been probably November, December of 92, because I'd started building the golf course at airport in the September of that year. And he said, you know what, I want to get back in the field. He said, you know, I'm out here being a sales rep and I'm beating my head against the wall. Uh, you know, he was going up against Toro at the time, which had been Mike Mulvihill for a lot of those people that maybe heard that name with uh, Tri-State. And he just said, yeah, I want to get back and I want to get off the road. And so he said, but I can't start until March. He said, and that'll help you out a little bit with payroll and that. But so he started working with me in March of, of 93 to build Airport National. For those that don't remember, it started raining in the flood years of 93, actually in September of 93. Right. And so well, I needed him that year. I mean, he was one of those guys. And, and again, being a young guy, he and I were running the dozers and the scrapers and the backhoes and all that. So his knowledge to be able to you know, hook up as Snook will tell you, you know, anything from, you know, sump pumps to, you know, 50 horse wells, you know, and building wells to have his knowledge to be able to say, hey, Prips, what do we need to do that on this, you know, met, meeting with engineers. You know, I didn't know all the verbiage back then as a young golf professional uh, to be able to talk intelligently to an engineer or to a irrigation person or to equipment manufacturer, but uh, the, the things that he did for us in 93 to help us get that golf course. I, I, I mean, it was so awesome to watch him to do it, but then once we got the irrigation done and I, I won't go too deep into how we were able to do that. Cause we actually seeded that on October 5th of 93, which Snooker will tell you, that'd be the worst thing you could ever do. And I was to seed that late because the window typically is August 15th to September 15th but maybe Snooker hopefully remembers, but 93 was one of those goofy years. It quit raining in about August of 93, 
but that was the year that we actually had to turn irrigation systems back on in the state of Iowa because we played till maybe the middle of December and it was in temperatures in November and early December were in the 70s and 80s that year and we had no nighttime lows that hardly ever froze so we were lucky enough to see that on October 5th have a great weather year and and get to the next year and then once once I saw how he helped us build that golf course, but then to see the next step with him to maintain and grow in a golf course over the next six or eight seasons was unbelievable. And to Snooker's point on him, some of the stuff he would come up with, I'd just sit there and go, Cribs, you're going to do what? He said, well, just watch this. We'll be able to get this thing done for you. And, and sure enough, he did about, you know, he delivered every time. And, you know, sometimes those, those trials didn't work out so well, but that didn't discourage Pribs. You know, he just went back to the, the drawing board and started it over. So uh, he always talked about the company that he wanted to own was called C&B Limited. And it was always Cotchell and Botchett, only limited by your imagination. That was always, <laughs> that was his mission statement on his deal. So, uh, you know, the, the times I spent with him certainly set me up for success uh, as I went through my career. And again, some of that was just building relationships. Well, like I said, you know, superintendents, I know wear a lot of hats, but they also, I mean, it's, it's a lot of problem solving. It's a lot of, Hey, I, you know, I got this and this to work with and I got to, you know, I got to put the, the round peg in the square hole and, and we got to get her done. So I, I always, I'm always fascinated by the way, you know, I'll see things online or see an email or something of, of something that superintendents found like, Hey, this is, this is how I do this. Or I've, you know, put these two, two things together and, it, and it's worked this way. And so well, this is a story, and you know, we talked about stories that hopefully I was going to be able to say it is induction ceremony. I didn't get through them, but I remember him talking about he got hired. He was at uh, Quincy Country Club, wanted to get out of there. That was his hometown. He wanted to move north. Uh, he had gone to Iowa State, um, married a neat gal, Ranella, but they decided to go back to Iowa. And so he got, got a chance to go up to this new club that what well, used to be uh, it's now red carpet golf in Waterloo. That was the old Sunnyside Country Club, but they'd moved essentially out into the country where the current site is at Sunnyside Country Club in Waterloo. And it was, he said it was like November or something like that. And so he got up there with Bill Sinnott, who was the uh, search chair at the time. And Cripp says, I think he only took me on to the, showed me the two or three good holes because he got out there the next year and looked at this disaster of a golf course that hadn't grown in very well. And he kept having this thing in the front of hole number one. Uh, there used to be a crick about 75 yards off the, the tee there. And he, he immediately went ahead and, and decided, hey, we'll put drainage in there and, and put pipe in there so we don't see that because it didn't really come into play. But he said for the next three months, he kept looking at this wet spot that was about 40 yards off the tee off of number one at Sunnyside. He could mm -hmm. not figure it out. So he went to the irrigation as built, which is essentially in layman's term, that's, you know, you, you have the original plan, but then you have to make some adjustments. So then they give you a plan with, that says, this is where actually all the irrigation heads are and the quick couplers and so forth, all the pipe. Well, come to find out there was an irrigation head about 50 yards off the tee that was buried about five feet underneath the, you know, had somehow gotten buried by all the dirt movement. Sure. So, <laughs> Snooker, I don't know if you know that one. But I didn't know that, no. So, so Pribs, being the Pribs, he, he finally figured out troubleshooting. And you know what? That's either a tile line, but it can't be a tile line because it seems to be going on every time I run my irrigation heavy. 
And for those of us that love cribs, he, we always call him the water bug because he always loved water. So sure enough, he dug down there and found an irrigation head uh, that had gone off the front. So uh, as, they, as they went through that, he went ahead and just made number one as good a hole as he could make it with the grow in and fixed whatever he needed to fix. And everyone said, why can't the hole number one be be as good as the other, or the other 17 holes be as good as number one. But it, he said, it'll eventually get there. And sure enough, it took him, you know, probably a couple of years, but he just started on hole number one and went to hole number two, just like you play around the golf and went to hole number three. And as, as for those of us that have played Sunnyside, you know, he, he left that facility in such great condition, uh, even to this day, it, it carries forth. So, but yeah, I was going to say, we were just up there for our wife husband championship and yeah it's it's interesting to to know that uh you know a little little troubleshooting you know you're that's kind of the name of the game i think in the superintendent world isn't it absolutely yeah but again it's what doug said earlier too is to be able to build those relationships with your fellow superintendents some of these young kids you know men and women in, in the superintendent and also on the pga side in my opinion don't reach out to their peers enough they they get in their little bubbles and just stay at their facilities. And all they ever do is look at their facility and don't realize, and honestly, a lot of times, as Snook said about the conditions, is either how good their facility is or how bad it is, but generally it's better than they think. And I'm glad, you know, Snooker, I took him on a few pro-ams during our time together. And a lot of that was just to force him to go play other facilities other than Waverly Municipal. And there's a few times, hopefully, Schnook, I mean, you hopefully went in there and realized that, you know, my facility is not as bad a condition as I thought it was. And, and you were probably one of the hardest on yourself. But again, you you played league on purpose to play your facility and you were set, had such a tough eye on yourself. Uh, but to be able to go out and see other facilities, I think, helps the superintendents, for sure, the golf professionals to see that, you know, again, either they've got to step their game up or my game is better than I thought it was. And now you can go back to your staff and say, hey, you know what, we're doing a pretty darn good job here. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that you went out and played a bunch of facilities here this year. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I agree. And uh, yeah, those are some good times, Mace. We, uh, we had a good time playing in those events. And yeah, you know, superintendents, um, they they take they take it fairly personal <laughs> you know i mean if you're if you're really um it, it's you out there you know that, that's a reflection of you and how good a job you're doing and yeah we're all too hard on ourselves that's for sure and uh, i want to say one more thing and that is uh to all those superintendents of any anybody we listen to this is take time for your family yep that's that's important as well because i know you guys you guys put in so many hours in the summer and you know something pops up you you know you gotta you're back out at the course and it's a it's a sometimes it's a thank thankless job you know i know there's a lot of members that you had that i'm sure were were great but i know there's a lot of them that sometimes take that take it advantage so i i will echo that as well uh snooker that's that's good advice um and this is kind of a loaded question but maybe just a couple things um doug that what's some of the biggest changes I guess you've seen over your career? You know, I know mowing heights and different chemicals, but is there anything you kind of look back on and be like, wow, you know, we used to do it this way and now it's now here we are. Is there, is there anything that maybe comes to mind and Mason oh, yeah. kind of follow up on that too? 
Yeah, yeah, actually, there's a, a lot of things that come to mind. Um, it, it is just incredible, the advancements that have been made. And, and I'm talking about uh, everything from equipment, oh, yeah, uh, to uh, chemicals, um, to just... Uh, Oh, I, I want to say one thing, though. The most important thing, even though you can have all the tools in the world and, and now they have uh, a lot better equipment, there's, there's a lot better uh, choice of, of chemicals to use on your golf course. We, we know a lot more about uh, irrigation and how much water we can put down. There's been so much research done on the turf grass plant. And so we're finding out we can, we can use less water, uh, less chemicals. And that's what we're all about is trying to... Uh, Protect the environment as much as we can but i want to say one thing the most important thing is your people because you know without good people you're you're in real trouble so and and that isn't new mace uh you know like i said you've been been involved in a lot of different you know avenues of, of golf what are some maybe some things that stick out to you looking back that it's like wow yeah again I, i'm like snooker i mean you know, your people underneath you are a lot better than they used to be, especially if you, you take the time to mentor them as much as you can. And, and Snooker and I were really big on that. And we learned that from our, 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 our old mentors too. I mean, we understood that, you know, at some point it's our time to become mentors. You know, we can't just be waiting for a mentor. And again, we've always been mentored, but um, to start helping out our younger people. What I would tell you you know, Snooker, I, I look at equipment as a really big deal there. You know, you think about in the old days, you probably would have had a green mower that probably did both tees and greens. You probably had a set of gangs that you pulled behind a tractor. <laughs> yeah. And that would have probably mowed the rough even at that time because you really oh. didn't have any, you know, rough mowers back in the 70s until maybe in the, even in the 80s before you got those. Yeah. Um, I, I just, you know, if you got the right equipment and Snooker and I had to battle that a bunch of times during our, our time together. And we finally got smart enough to start getting into the bids with the, the entire city rather than just relying on ourselves. But that certainly made staffs more efficient. I would say Snooker, you know, cause nine, I mean, you might have, instead of having three mowers now, all of a sudden you've got two greens mowers and two fairway units and, and two T mowers where back in the old days, you would have only had, you know, probably your rough mower, your, your gangs with the tractor and then a greens mower. And that might've been the only piece of the equipment. Obviously you would have had some sort of bunker rake too, but you know, I, I just seen the advances in equipment. Again, I started in 1988 and it's certainly changed from back then. Cause back then most people were mowing with gangs, you know, the, the five gang fairway units that you see now, uh, that the ones that were out there were not very good. And, and you look at what they are now. I mean, they just make the so more, much more efficient. You got to remember too, uh, that uh, most of the golf courses didn't have irrigated fairways. Right. I, I mean, th there were, you know, there were, there were some, but uh, not very many. And a lot of, a lot of, we just use gang wars and all the whole thing, except the tees and the greens, you know, um, uh, I, I can go way back to see how, to, to give you an example, and this is going way, way back now. I recall when we would top dress greens and we would do it with shovels. 
Okay. And and we would uh, spread that out. And I was I was really bad at it. So <laughs> they made me uh, pull the drag mat across the green uh, by hand. But there was an old Indian who his name was John Novanko. He he worked at Westwood in Newton. And this I'm talking this we're talking back in the '60s now. That guy could take a shovel of top dressing and he could toss it out there and you would think a machine put it down. Really? It was really <laughs> remarkable to see. And of course, nowadays, we've got such great top dressing machines and they can top dress greens in just a matter of just a few hours now and, and do it in. And, uh, yeah, it, it really changed a lot. Um, now everybody's using lightweight mowers. All the, all the reels are hydraulic. And uh, yeah, it's definitely, definitely changed. The, the equipment has definitely made a huge difference. And by the way, those bunker rakes you're talking about, that was a hand rake. Got a seat on it, you know. And mm -hmm. uh, I keep forgetting, uh, Clint, that Snooker's a little bit older than me. I mean, his. Uh, cool. <laughs> you know his handle on his email ink is whiteheads and i don't remember you know he's he was he kind of is uh, one of those understated humble golf superintendents that just did his job and did a great job for the city of waverly and i i you know i got to see some of our guys on monday at a tournament i saw bo blake and bones and dan norton and jordan david just so you know snooker so i talked to them for a little bit but you know oh, they're wow. they were it was kind of neat but you know, Snooker did some great things at Waverly in his early days, but, you know, he went through a, a total golf course restoration. Uh, and then he went through where we added two new holes on. And so I'm trying to think back, Snooker, if, if you would have had to redo that golf course uh, with Paul, our buddy, Paul Miller in the seventies versus when you did it, what, late eighties, early nineties. And then obviously adding those two, it would have taken what, twice as long, I would guess. And again, you know, the only reason I say that is you bring up that change, especially the top dressing where I, I'd forgotten where we, you know, we used to put those old, that top dresser in the late eighties, early nineties on the back of a Cushman, you know, that you might only spread apart what maybe three and a half, four feet, and it would take you forever. And you could, you had to adjust the belt a lot just to get the right thickness across there. Where now, you know, the, our, our guys and gals as superintendents can, you know, go out there and top dress in probably less than an hour and a half and spread it out where people don't even know that there's, that they were even top dress where in the old days, they would have complained about sand kept getting on their golf ball as they were putting, even though you tried to drag it in. But nowadays these guys and gals can go in there and top dress every other week or every three weeks and people don't even know it. Um, but again, speak to your, especially your, your, Rebuilding of Waverly because I I know you take a lot of pride in what you guys did there. Yeah, it, it was really a great opportunity. You know, the, the golf course was just flooding constantly. It was it, it was just a joke. So they knew they had to do something, and uh, and they did. Uh, they really stepped up to the plate and pretty much redid the whole the whole golf course and had some great contractors, some good good architect and Paul Miller. And uh, so, yeah, um, you know, to be involved with something like that, a lot of guys don't get that opportunity and uh, challenging. Yeah, yeah, it was challenging. All right. Um, uh, but, but it was, it was a lot of fun. The challenging part of that project is that uh, 
in phase, it was phases. Um, the second phase was the really big phase and Dunning Brothers did that one and they did a really great job. But uh, it was 13 holes that were being redone and they still wanted nine holes open to play. So that was a little bit of a challenge. Right. Um, we, we got we got lucky though because we did have the greens. Uh, we, we did not redo all of the greens. There were some of the greens that were, were okay. So we were able to work something out and I, I think they appreciated it. it. It held our membership together, that's for sure. So that was one of the challenges. And of course, a grow in is always um, very challenging. Um, and, um, you know, you don't sleep at night. And, uh, but it, it, it all went really well. And I lucked out, just like you said, Mace, on the, uh, on the airport deal. Yeah. Uh, we seated pretty late on that big project. And, uh, oh, I had such a beautiful October, November. And uh, the good Lord was looking out after me, I guess. So uh, it turned out really well. So, Clint, I'm going to tell you a story. But this yes. would have been my first year when I got there and actually kind of combined these two. And, and I, this goes back to what Doug talked about earlier. The relationship between the pro and the superintendent really has to be strong and then add in that club manager if you have to have one. But when we first got there, Snooker would come in and, and I already knew that he was a little uh, hot tempered at times, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'd only been there maybe what, maybe a month, I think. And we had a gentleman that uh, the late Norman, Norm, uh, Storman Norman Luton, who was the head longtime pro at Pheasant Ridge, but he walked in and just lit him and I up and we, and we quite frankly deserved it. Um, but I just asked Snooker, I said, Hey, could you go back? And at Waverly, we had, a, my office was through a couple doors and was kind of in a storage room essentially. So I said, let's go back there and let's talk this out a little bit. So the first thing I told him, I said, Snooker, I said two things. And Tom McCarville taught me this, uh, to do is I don't care if you light me up because especially if I deserve it, but all I ask you to do is walk in, smile, say hi, Mace or hi, Greg or hi, Norm. And then we can do anything you want to lighten it up. But McCarve talked about being able to do that certainly lightens the mood. And then versus if you just come in and light somebody up, you become really defensive. So fast forward to maybe a couple of weeks later, and hopefully you remember this snooker, but, you know, he, he bragged to me, uh, you know, for my first 90 days, roughly, um, you know, how much, and again, I knew the renovations because I played there quite a bit, but all the renovations and how the flooding and that stuff was so great. And so we had, I don't know, inch, inch and a half of rain the one night where we're, Snooker comes in early and it's, we're going to have a busy, nice May. And he goes, uh, Macy said, we're not going to be able to run carts today. <laughs> you remember this or not? But, yeah, I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I said, uh, and again, he, you have to remember, I, I dealt with Charlie Pribble. So, and he had a hotter temper than anybody, but, uh, to both of those credits, uh, they never held a grudge. So Snooker comes in, we're not going to run cart stick, be able to, I'm thinking, can we at least check at noon again? He says, no, nah, I don't think it's going to be able to do this. So I said, so where is our actual problem then Snooker? I said, you did all this renovations to alleviate some of this flooding and making the golf course more playable at times. And he said, well, the last maybe 125 yards of what hole would have that been back then? Four, no, seven, 15. Yeah. Yeah, it was old, yeah, an old seven, probably, right? Yeah, yeah. And so it went back to the corner. Well, that hole 
bordered of you know probably 2500 or more than that acres of farm ground that basically ran through his tile system so yeah the last 125 or 150 yards was all wet rest of the golf course we could have went out there because it was dry as a bone because all the great work that they did during the renovation and so i said schnooker i'm gonna tell you one thing do you want me to go get the ropes or do you want to go get the ropes <laughs> and sure enough schnooker said oh, i got i'll go get the ropes and he got those ropes out there and we ran carts and after that you know again that's the relationship we had is you know i was going to have his back when um when things were bad when we like when we had the floods in 2008 and why we couldn't play certain holes and that sort of thing but I think our relationship on that thing probably cemented us for the next, whatever it was, eight seasons together where we understood it. The best thing we can do is say, hi, Mace, hi, Snooker, and then light each other up or at least discuss it. And I think we had, for lack of a better term, Snooker, we probably had a lot more adult conversations after, after those couple conversations. And I would tell you, I think if the superintendents and golf professionals would get together more like that, I think it would be, you know, rather than letting it, uh, uh, fester. I think if they can talk some of those things out, your relationships are so much better, but I'm, I'm sure you remember that snookers. So. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. All right. I admit I was probably a little overprotective, you know, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I get it. And, and I, I'm sure I'm not the only one, but um, yeah. And, you know, that was a good lesson for me because I realized that, and, and now, of course, now, with these, the pressures that you guys are under now for revenues, right? Uh, mm -hmm. You know, you, those, those days are gone. If you can run carts, you're going to run carts. If you do a little damage, Hey, you just got to deal with it, you know, but uh, you know, I guess I would just, you know, I was a little too protective and uh, there was not a whole lot of pressure on revenues. We were, we were always in the red and they, they and they knew it. So, <laughs> but yeah. Okay. I'm sure glad you brought that up. It doesn't bother me. Any, yeah, no, no, not a bit. Hey, I'm sure if there's superintendents out there, they know exactly. Yeah. Well, a lot of them, hey, it's like I said, it's your baby out there, but <laughs> it, it really isn't. So um, believe me. Uh, and that's, Doug, I, yeah. you and I talked about this. That's where I think almost if, if I had to do it over again, and again, I own most of my golf courses for 25 years, built a couple was if I was have been smarter, I would have shared the cart revenue with the superintendents that, that I worked alongside. And I bet you we probably would have ran carts a lot more. Hopefully the superintendents and the pros are out there listening. Uh, or, or say, you know, I need to go talk to my yeah. fellow pro and we need to go to the board and see if I can get five or 10% of the carts. So, yeah. yeah, good luck. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I know. Just pay him more. <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, before I let you go, I just I just want to you know thank you again for coming on. Always, and I always enjoy talking to both of you when you get into the office or when I see you out and about, and uh, it's always always fun to catch up. So I, again, thanks for your time and uh, appreciate you coming on the podcast. Yeah, you're very welcome. Good good talking to you, and see you around, Mace. You betcha. 
Thank you, Clint, for putting Snooker and I back together. It's always you got it. tag team champions. I was I was looking last night. I was like, oh, I got to think of something funny, and I was looking up old, you know, pro wrestling tag team champions of the world. I was like, I'm gonna try and slip something in, but I couldn't really find a, a good one that that I thought fit. So maybe, maybe the maybe the Midnight Express or the the Rockers or something. I don't know, but uh, you guys are you guys are two of the best. So I, I appreciate yeah. you taking some time with me. Yeah, thank thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks, Clint. All right. See ya. Yeah.